Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Kansas City. I almost said Vegas because we've seems like anytime we have a small time card, we pretty much just don't leave the apex. But we are in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, it's you know 14 fight card, not so bad. The real story coming into this episode of Dogger Pass Podcast, which is brought to you by Prospects. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Is Chase Sherman? didn't fight your boy and we don't have a shoey to, to do like that was the one thing i was looking forward to coming in to do this show this week what the hell's up with that well maybe if there's like a big underdog that you don't love to pick outright but you want to try to get another three to one shoey bet going on then uh, yeah by all means but yeah last week didn't go so well i'll start off with chase Sharon pulling out now all of a sudden yeah i the it was not a trustworthy card. There wasn't a whole lot of spots you thought it were going to be entertaining fights, but you were confident in. That was a greasy heavyweight fight. I at least had confidence in Williams. And that one got torched. It was like, this could go very bad. Prelim started off well. Main card went extremely bad. So all I can hope to do is jump back on track this week. Uh, we got 14 fights. But again, it's like out of these 14 fights, which underdogs do you like outright? And I think there's four even money picks on the card as well. So could be dicey, could be greasy in spots. If you want to get a shoey bet going, I'm all for it. But I'm hoping to just get some winning picks, if anything. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm looking up and down this card, Cody. And we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll break it down. We'll see what happens. Uh, but, like, I don't know if there's uh, if there's shoe. I mean, Chase Sherman was was making a shoey out of it. So, uh, I mean, we, we may be able to sneak one in here. All right. We got Max Bless Holloway taking on Arnold Allen in the main event. Minus 170 for blessed Max Holloway and plus 145 can be had on Arnold Allen. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, well, this is like what version of Arden Allen's going to come out versus what version of Max Holloway is going to come out because both of their career trajectories are heading in different directions. Max Holloway is the former champion, you know, a very classy back class fighter, got the striking, got, you know, world class pretty much a lot world-class skills in, in a lot of the areas of MMA. So you know what you're getting when you're getting a Max Holloway pick. Still only 31 years old, but Paul, it just seems like the wheels are definitely starting to come off for him. He's been fighting in the UFC for 11 years, 26 fights in the UFC. So even though he's only 30, 31 years old, I think the mileage and the wear and tear is definitely starting to catch up with him. Not only is it 26 fights, 11 years, is that he's been fighting world-class guys for the vast majority of that. Fought Conor McGregor way back in the day, but even more recently, you know, the wars with Alexander Volkanovsky, the war with Yair Rodriguez, I think it's starting to catch up with them. In the Rodriguez fight, I thought that he would just run circles around Yair. And it was a great fight, and he won over a guy that's currently like an interim champion, so it still does mean something. But I think in that fight, you notice some of the regression in him. He should have ran circles around Yair. It ended up being like a fight of the night, fight of the year contender, very close. Yair was the one coming on in the late stages, and you don't necessarily see that from Rodriguez in fights, that he's the one growing as the fight goes. And Max Holloway, you know, he's the guy that grows as the fight goes taking a lot of damage three four five so not the best version of him and then you see the alexander volkanovsky trilogy the first fight highly competitive the second fight a lot of people thought max holloway won the third fight not that competitive good fight sure but alexander volkanovsky clearly improving taking off max holloway again i wouldn't say not the same guy he used to be it's either the division's all improving and getting better and he's staying you know, where he's always been staying stagnant or that it's the mileage, the wear and tear, the, the, the training camps, the, you know, the injuries like that's starting to slow him down a little bit. 
Allen, meanwhile, Arnold Allen, I didn't really think much of this kid. He's on a 12-fight winning streak in the UFC. That's got to count for something. But again, there's so many of these spots along the way. The Allen Omer fight, the Mads Burnell fight, you know, his fight with Jordan Rinaldini, who's like very, very low uh, output fight. Like his fight with Sodi Youssef, right? He got outstruck by Sodi Youssef 47 to 21 over the course of 15 minutes. But he knocked Sodi Youssef down in the first and he wobbled him with a head kick in the second. That's what won in the fight. It's another low output fight. But damn, I'll give him credit where credit's due. He fights Dan Hooker. And all of a sudden, very uncharacteristic for Arnold Allen, just bum rushes him. Lands 47 significant strikes in like less than three minutes and knocks out Dan Hooker in the first. Okay, sure. Dan Hooker is chinny. Do it against Calvin Cater. Bum rushes to a lesser extent, but doubles up Calvin Cater in significant strikes in the first round. Good output. Solid output. Second round, Cater blows out his knee. So it's like hard to, hard to give him all of the credit because he didn't really have to fight tooth and nail for five minutes or for five rounds. But still, man, he won the first round against Calvin Cater, and it seemed like maybe he realizes he's been a low-output guy in the past, and now that he's fighting world-class guys, he needs to up that output. So now that he's fighting Max Holloway in a 25-minute fight, five minute, or five rounds, he's going to need that output consistently throughout. Not bum-rush Holloway in the first, not have a couple moments. He's going to consistently have to do that for five rounds, and I've just never seen him do it. Whereas Max Holloway, I know that he can go five rounds. I know that he's got a hell of a beard on him. I know that he's capable of landing anywhere between 120 to 220 significant strikes. I got to feel like this is still his fight to win. So I am going to go with Max Holloway. But this fight, if you run this fight back two years from now, it could be a different story altogether. I do think Arnold Allen's improving. 29, getting better, hell of a nice win streak, looking better every time. I just don't know that he's quite at Holloway's level. So I will take the favorite. Um, but it's going to be a greasy five-round banger of a main event where you're clinched up for most of it. So you're clinched up, not them. They're going to be free-flinging bombs. So, uh, you know, best of luck to everyone betting this main event. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really hard to ignore the the volume from Max Holloway, the fact that he's always been super, super durable. And the fact that we haven't seen it from Arnold Allen, and there have been, as you, as you, I, I echo a lot of the same things that you do. I mean, Max Holloway has upwards of 445 significant strikes that he landed against Calvin Cater. It's just like, the guy is just throwing at such a clip that, can you keep that pace, Arnold Allen? We haven't seen it. It's not really his fault. Like, maybe he's got full five-round cardio. He can get up over 150 significant strikes. We'll find out on Saturday night, but... Um, you know, maybe Max is slowing down a little bit. Maybe that durability is taking so much damage over the years. Maybe, maybe this is the time that someone finally cracks him and, and, and we see a little bit more of a, a chink in the armor at 145 pounds. Um, obviously Poirier, well, Poirier still dragged him to decision, but man, that fight should have been stopped. Let's be perfectly honest there. Um, yeah, my Holloway for me as well. It's really, really hard to ignore the volume. As far as I'm concerned, we got Billy Corntillo taking on Edson Jr. Barbosa minus 165 uh, Corntillo plus 165 or plus 145 for Edson Barbosa. Um, I mean, this kind of feels like the tale of two fights. And, you know, we say this on the show all the time and fights don't necessarily always play out this way. But like, doesn't this kind of seem like a situation where. Edson could start out a little bit hot. Maybe Bo- Billy's not able to get takedowns early. Um, B- Billy is kind of somewhat of a, not even a slow starter, but it's like he wears you down with his intensity, pace, and volume. Uh, it seems more kind of like a, a spot where it's like, 
live entry on Billy after round one, as long as he doesn't eat like a flying knee and get himself killed. Or maybe I haven't even looked at the props yet. It's obviously early in the week. A lot of the books don't open up the props this early. But um, like a quarantine around three could be spicy. Um, I'll go with Billy. But minus 165 pre-flop kind of scares me off. I think you probably get a better, uh, you could get a better price. Because on the feet, he's going to be outmatched early until he wears Edson down a little bit. And I don't know if the takedowns are going to be that easy for him. Like, it's been easy for some people. But I don't know if Billy's wrestling's on the level of some of the guys that have really caused Edson Barbosa problems in the grappling department. What's your take here? Yeah, 100%, man. I think that you, uh, you you stole my thoughts completely. If you look at Billy Quarantillo, he's a volume guy that's going to be trying to take you out rounds two and three. Not necessarily a slow start, like you said, but he's super hittable. So in the first five minutes, when his opponent's fresh, they're going to be competitive. He's not the most physically built guy as well. You'll see him at weigh-ins. It's not like he's a super muscular guy. So when he's taking on the Alexander Hernandez of the world, he generally has to overcome some type of storm in the first round, wait for them to fatigue, and then take over. Betting him pre-flop at minus 165, not a great idea. So on one hand, you got a guy that's going to just, you know, steam engine, continue to build power, build power as the fight goes on. Edson, meanwhile, not that he slows down, but yeah, his first round is probably his best round. He's still very dynamic. He's still very explosive. Could you make the argument that he's coming off a year-long layoff and he blew out his knee, pulled out of the Taporia fight with a, with a knee injury, uh, 37 years old, and had a career of wear and tear in mileage? Yeah, you can make all those points for sure. But in that first round, homie still moves really good. He's still an excellent athlete. And yeah, he's got nasty leg kicks. He's got nasty body shots. So I think he's going to give Billy everything he can handle in that first round. It's whether Billy can wear on him rounds two and three and take over. So I would rather take an even money play on Billy after he drops the first round. And flip side to that, like you said, if Edson ices him with a you know flying knee, if he you know dices him with a nice little uh, left hook to the body or something like that hits the liver, uh, well, then you didn't have to get invested in, in the first place. But yeah, I would think that Billy's style of just continuously coming after guys should get to him eventually. The other point you made, which I completely agree, is people will often say the key to beating Edson Barbosa is taking him down, which is very fair. The guys that have taken him down are Tony Ferguson, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Kevin Lee, Dan Ige, Bryce Mitchell his last time out. Those guys are all much, much better wrestlers than what he's going to be facing here in Billy Quintillo. Billy Quintillo, in his UFC career so far, is rocking a 24% takedown accuracy. Thing is, is that he'll shoot multiple takedowns. So even though he's only getting a quarter of them, uh, if he shoots eight, he'll get two, and two might be all he needs. He's got the superior ground game. He's got the superior cardio. I would say he's got pretty solid durability that he should be able to take Edson's early shots and wear on him later the fight goes. But I don't like this free bet. And if you're looking at this card, it's like what underdogs have a shot. I think Edson does have a shot. Like if he wins that first round and now it's coming into the second, it really does come down to Billy's takedown uh, offense. If he doesn't take Edson down in the second, now he definitely needs to finish in the third. Wouldn't rule it out. But still, I mean, Edson Barbosa has been in there with some really good guys. And, you know, Bryce Mitchell's able to take him down at will and hold him down, but basically do no damage and not come anywhere near submitting him. And he's an excellent grappler. If Billy gets him down and he can do the same thing, survive long enough to get back up to his feet and start engaging, yeah, I think I think he's a decent underdog. Am I going to pick him outright? I don't know. I would rather take Billy at even money, which is not available right now, but I can get after the first round. So that's where my head's at. But if I had to pick a few dogs on this card, because not every favorite's going to win, I feel like Edson's going to be the guy. You know, yeah. he could be the apple pie shitter this week, basically. It can, yeah, we can see the the ways that 
I mean, yeah. Really, round one should be pretty good for him. Like, I don't think Billy's got the technical striking to really hang with Edson on the feet. So, yeah, it's it really comes down Billy to the versus, takedown. It comes yeah. down to those takedowns, and we don't really know. We don't know if Billy's got it. If, like, it may come really, really easy to him, but it's like these are sometimes some of those spots where it's like it's really tough to gauge, you know, the the capability of of his wrestling or the decline of Edson Barbosa. It's like it's it's kind of tricky to figure that out pre-flop. Don't have too much of a harsh, hard, hard take on it. Uh, it sounds like we're kind of on the same page on that one. Uh, we got Dustin. Yeah, yeah, I would. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead, buddy. Go. Move on? No, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can we, we move on. It's going to be a scrap. No, there's nothing more that we can say. We're on the same page. Cool. All right, we got uh, Dustin Jacoby taking on Azmat Mirzakhanov. Minus 160 for Jacoby, plus 140 for Mirzakhanov. Who you got here, bud? So here's another spot I think you'll get a better live price on Dustin Jacoby after the first round. Uh, Mirzakhanov debuts in the UFC, or even back on the Contender Series and all of his regional show uh, experience prior to that. First round finisher. This guy's a little bit older. He's not a young Russian prospect. He's 34 years old. He might even be lying about that. He might be closer to 36, 37. But uh, he's kind of a refined product at this point. Likes to get those first round finishes. Debuts against Stefan and Jaquin in the UFC. And it's a terrible fight. He throws absolutely no volume. He got outstruck 43 to 28. He's into the third round. Everybody, we're all ripping up our Mirzakhanov tickets. And like a golden Russian eagle, soars through the air with flying Ian KOs to Fawn and Jaquie. So terrible performance, good result, but like not a guy that I think that I would want to invest heavily moving forward. It's the next fight with Devin Clark, sophomore outing in the UFC, and he looked infinitely better. Clark can wrestle. Clark is a guy that uh, serviceable at the very least, you know, coming off a win in, in the UFC as well against Daung Jung, where he looked good. Uh, and Mirza Khanum just looked infinitely better. Volume better, physically strong, took down Devin Clark, which is definitely a feather in his cap and then knocks him out in the third. Cardio looks solid. Power looks solid. 10-8 second round. Absolutely kills Devin Clark in the second and puts him out of his misery early in the third. So he looked a lot better in that spot. What I see from him is he's not going to be the biggest volume guy as much as he's got these big clunky power shots, big power shots. And Justin Jacoby is going to be quite the opposite. He loves volume. He loves the low calf kicks. He likes, you know, uh, utilizing his long-range weapons from the outside. He can get in the pocket and scrap. But for the most part, he loves big volume. The thing is, is that the judges don't always say, oh, you landed more shots. They're looking at the bigger shots. And that's exactly what happened to him in his last fight with Khalil Roundtree. He probably won the fight. I think most people watching at home thought Dustin Jacoby won the fight. By the numbers, he outstruck Khalil Roundtree 120 to 85. But the judges judges didn't agree. They're looking at those bigger shots. And in this fight, I think it's going to be very similar. The bigger shots will be coming from Merzikhanov the more volume will be coming from Dustin Jacoby. I just think after the first, where those big shots are even more powerful and, you know, and it's a crazy first round, and all of a sudden you realize, ooh, this is a 50-50 fight, then it would be a better time to get on Justin Jacoby because training out of Colorado, man, this guy can go 15 minutes. And when you look at his performances, 120 landed against Khalil Roundtree. Uh, 153 landed against John Allen. 89 against uh, Michael Oleksicek. 84 against the young Kudalaba, 117 against Ty Flores on the contender series. He, for a big guy, and he's a big guy, he can throw for 15 minutes. I'm not super worried about that. Not that I don't think Mirzakhanov can, but against Defon and Jukui, he landed like 28. And even though he looked much, 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 much better in his next fight against Devin Clark, by the numbers, I mean, it was still fairly low. He landed 79. 79 is solid. Seven, for a big guy, especially because it was an early third round finish, that's solid. 
But it was a big second round, and 79 pales in comparison to the 100-plus that Jacoby's going to be throwing up. So, I, again, I would take Justin Jacoby, but these are big boys that are going to be largely in a striking affair. It's going to be a greasy fight. I would rather get in on the live market once I can analyze a little bit more. But pre-flop, I'm going to go with Justin Jacoby. I think it's going to be kind of tough to get in there. Well, maybe not. Um, it may be tough to get in on the live market. Jacoby just, yeah, volume-wise, he absolutely, he can get up there to, what, yeah, 120, 130. It is a little bit of pitter-patter, and that's what obviously happened in his last time out. Um, it seems like the market is coming in on Merzikhanov. I don't really love it. I don't really love it at all. Um, I, I'll side with the volume again. I'm going to side with the, the numbers. And uh, Jacoby's got a you know, five-inch reach advantage in this spot as well. Like Merzikhanov, I think the one thing that you kind of left out out of you know out of your breakdown there was maybe that he's a little bit undersized at 205. I think this guy's kind of got more of like a 185ers frame as far as I can see. Um, yeah, I'll side with you on Jacoby, but wait until later in the week you may get a better price. Moving on down, we've got Ion Kutalaba taking on Tanner Bozer. Ion Kutalaba, a minus 130 favorite Bozer, who's making the move down to 205 pounds from heavyweight. Can be had for plus 110. Tough to really do too much with this one before you see the weigh-ins with Tanner Bozer, who we've talked about many, many times. Was very, very undersized at heavyweight. I think this is a very smart move for him. He was a... Uh, it'll be interesting to see like how his speed compares to guys at 205 pounds, but he was always, he's always coming in at like 235, 240. And like, I, I don't see too much problems with him cutting down to 205, but um, yeah, number one thing for him is getting down to 205. Is that going to compromise his cardio? Because in a matchup with Ian Kutalava, the advantage that he would have that we've seen in his heavyweight fights is that he can go 15 minutes. Kutalaba comes at you super, super hot, typically, in most of his fights in the first five minutes, and then it kind of all falls off of a cliff if he doesn't get you out of there. Um, really tough to make a selection without, without seeing Bozer on the scale, so I'm going to go with what I know right now. I know that Bozer has struggled, particularly in the wrestling department. Ion Kutalaba should be able to land those takedowns, particularly early. Hopefully, he kind of refines his uh, refines his his strategy a little bit and uh, is able to work over the course of 15 minutes because he's going to probably need it against Bozer. But I'll take Ion um, until until further notice. Like I could totally switch this pick. Um, if Bozer looks great on the scales and all of that type of stuff, but this uh, on Wednesday of uh, of fight week, the pick for me will be Ion uh, Kutalaba. What about you? You know what? I hear you. I think I'm going to take Tanner Bozer, but I can be swayed that if Ion Kutalaba shows up at weigh-ins painted green and freaking <laughs> out, I think I can take him as well. I got to see where the mindset's at, baby. That's the main thing. Uh, Tanner Bozer, here's a story for you. Back in 2014, I actually offered Tanner Bozer a fight at 205 pounds. And he, it's the only 205-pound fight of his career. He fought Nick Campbell at 205. So he has actually made light heavyweight. When I messaged him and I was like, would you fight Todd Stout at 205? 
he's like, I think I'm going to go into school to be a firefighter. So, you know, until I figure out what I'm doing with the program and my studies and all that, you know, again, and then, and then he came back like five months later at like 253 pounds. And that was the last time. Now, as you mentioned, you'll see him come in at 230. Sometimes I think he's been to like 225. Um, maybe a guy that could get down to light heavyweight, but a guy that actually has made it one time ago, 10 years ago, almost, he actually has done it. As far as the UFC goes, his biggest problem is that, yeah, he's not the biggest guy and they tend to match him up against grapplers. His striking has been pretty on point, good volume, you know, good uh, kick-based attack where he can just stay at range, very fast for a heavyweight, good footwork because obviously he's a little bit smaller. He has that mobility. And for a guy that almost had no power on the regional scene, He's shown some decent power in the UFC. Like, he's got some okay pop to him. And it's not even that his takedown defense is trash in the UFC. It's that once he does get taken down, take it back up. That's the biggest issue, is that if he could get back up, then at least he could get back to his striking. But oftentimes, you only need a couple of takedowns against him, and that's pretty much it. Even in the Nascimento fight, like, get an early takedown against him, and then three and a half minutes just get sucked off the clock because he doesn't have that ability to get back up. Now, that's against bigger guys. Now, you got a guy coming down from heavyweight versus a light heavyweight in Ian Kudalaba who 100% can make 185 pounds. He's not that big of a guy. So can he take down Tanner Bozer? Psh, all day. Can he hold down Tanner Bozer? Probably, but not certainly, right? So I, I feel like Bozer being the bigger guy, having the cardio. The other thing with Tanner Bozer, if you look at him, he's been getting blanketed, right? These guys are taking him down and just easily controlling him. Uh, not Cemento, BJJ Black Belt body gets the takedown looks to just slow the fight down his fight with uh, Ilya Latifi you know another 205er but just one dimensional with the wrestling bad cardio wants to take you down wants to hold you down that's what he did those guys will probably be able to get those takedowns over him. those guys will be able to hold him down Young Kudalaba is not a blanket Young Kudalaba is take you down try to pass guard try to set up submissions try to pound you with ground and pound go berserk rage mode and try to take you out of there he's not really a fight a discipline 15 minute kind of guy so I feel like he'll probably win the first round. He'll probably do decent in the second round. But at some point, he's going to gas. And when he gasses from trying to throw around the bigger man, when he gasses from just trying to you know, finish the bigger man inside the distance, a guy like Bozer should be able to work his way back into this. So I'm going to go with Tanner Bozer. I know we've said this in the last prior two fights. I'm going to take the underdog out right in this one. But the same thing applies that he's going to be a better live pick, right? Probably loses the first round against the young Kudalaba. Most guys lose the first round to Young Kudalaba because he's insane. It's, can you extend this fight out? And so that's that's the key to winning for Bozer. I think I get a better plus money play on him after he loses the first. And then the second and the third, I just got to hold to that he's just going to keep the fight standing. Last but not least, Young Kudalaba could win the fight with his wrestling. You've acknowledged it. I've acknowledged it. We all agree. Bozer can't really wrestle. Young's got some European Sambo in his back pocket. He probably does get those takedowns but he's got no ring iq like can you actually trust the guy to use his wrestling or is he going to go out there hear the live crowd and be like yolo and swing for the fences because he's prone to do that too prone to fake being hurt to get you to engage him why don't know but he'll do it so plus money tanner bozer coming down at 205 i'd love to see the waves don't get me wrong but yeah i'll take the dog shot that's fair enough yeah i mean yeah kutalaba is he's fun but like he's just Doing some really dumb things and having some really stupid results, to be perfectly honest, recently. Like the Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker uh, submission special, like that was hilarious. Like a lot of the the results, especially these first round finishes, have just been straight up hilarious. Like 
He yeah, he's able to wrestle, but he doesn't seem to. He must be skipping BJJ class down in Vegas. Like it's it's not a great look all the way around. Um, and this is kind of like a put up or shut up fight for him. Like he loses this one to Bozer, and very likely that they're 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 giving him his walking papers. Moving on down, we got Chris Gutierrez taking on Pedro Munoz minus two hundred five for Gutierrez. Pedro Munoz can be had for plus 175. Battle of the leg kickers, Cody. Who you got? Yeah, well, so actually another fight that you can talk about questionable ring IQ. Pedro Munoz is a BJJ black belt. BJJ black belt world champion, okay? His ground game is sick. And yet, for whatever reason, he just never uses it. Ever. This expression back in the day was a stand and wang because of Andy Wang. He's done the ultimate fighter. BJJ Black Belt, and for whatever reason, we get in there and not use it. George Grigel, same thing. BJJ Black Belt, not a great one, but all the same. BJJ Black Belt, Rich Franklin, jiu-jitsu coach. And when he gets in there, just wants to swing for the fences. Pedro's that guy. Pedro has a nasty guillotine choke. Pedro has legitimate grappling, and yet he just never shoots any takedown. Last time he... Scored a takedown in the UFC was effectively. He scored one against John Dodson. That one being five years ago. Over five years ago. Uh, overall, 20% takedown accuracy. But it's not even the accuracy. It's the fact that he just generally doesn't even try. Battle of the leg kickers, sure. But if he could mix in the wrestling, if he could mix in trying to catch one of the kicks, trying to clinch up, trying to take him to the ground, that would make him a little more versatile. Because Gutierrez really only has the kickboxing. His grappling's not good. Cody Durden had this guy dead to rights in the first round, backpacked him, 10-8 of them. I didn't agree with the 10-8, but judges gave it a 10-8 for whatever reason. You couldn't get out of those spots. What is he going to deal with a guy like Pedro if it hit the ground? But if you don't think it's going to hit the ground, you just got two kickboxes going at it. And I think Gutierrez is a little bit faster. Uh, he's got a little more volume. Pedro's known for that volume, but a lot of the times it's just naked. Naked leg kick, naked leg kick, naked leg kick. Hands low, there for the counter, but he's just leg kicking these guys away. His fight with Cody Garbrandt, it worked dividends because eventually he slowed him down. Eventually he caused him to get desperate, caused him to have that gunfight, and was able to beat him. But since then, it's just way less effective. He's not slowing these guys down with the leg kicks. His fight with uh, Jose Aldo, you know, Maldon. So much a superior striker, but, I mean, he got real gun-shy in that one. His fight with Dominic Cruz, he just couldn't track him down. He dropped Cruz, and then as soon as he knocks him down, Cruz pops back up. He doesn't even give chase. He was so much slower than Dominic Cruz that he allowed himself to just stand there and get pot-shotted all night. This fight with Sean O'Malley, he won the first round. In the second round, you can see O'Malley's doing the same thing. Faster, longer, pot-shotted from the outside, and then it's a no contest. Is it a bullshit no contest? I don't know. I was, I'm not Pedro Munoz. I don't know what was going through his head. But it did seem like the tide of the fight was beginning to change. The UFC did not book a rematch. They are just kind of like, it was almost understood... Pedro was on the back end of that fight and Sean was coming on and, and now both of their careers have, have headed in different directions. When I think about how he fights Chris Gutierrez, I think it's going to be much of the same. He's a lot slower than Gutierrez. He's a lot more plodding than Gutierrez. And even though he likes to kick, he's got zero reach to him. He's got a 65-inch reach, right? He comes up short, and I guess it's only a two-inch reach disadvantage, but he comes up short with a lot of his punches, which is why he relies so heavily on on his kicks to get to the target. But against these longer guys, I think they just work him from the outside. And I think that's what Gutierrez should do. I don't like this money line. I think Pedro would be considered a live underdog, but because I don't think he's going to use his grappling, which is his easy key to win this fight, I can't get behind him. I will go with Gutierrez to get the job done, but another fight that like I'm not super confident because I know how talented Pedro is, 
I just can't trust the guy to put the proper plan together. Yeah, that seems all more or less fair. I agree pretty much with all the points there. Uh, Pedro doesn't put the game plan together. We never really see it. I mean, maybe he just doesn't have the wrestling to get the fight to the ground in most of these fights. Like, and maybe he just knows that he's not really there in the back pocket. So he's not going to tire himself out doing it. I don't. I don't know. But um, Gutierrez, I think, just has the more refined striking game. You know, Pedro is like very, very leg kick heavy. Obviously, Gutierrez does that too. But he's got you know some spinning stuff. He's got half decent hands as well to mix in. Um, I think the line's probably pretty accurate at minus 205, like 60% or 65% winner Gutierrez doesn't seem too, too far off to me. So don't think I'll be getting to it, um, in any sort of betting capacity, but Gutierrez will be the pick. All right, moving on down. We've got Rafa Garcia taking on Clay, the Carpenter Guida minus 250 for Garcia plus 210 for Clay, the Carpenter. He got... Yeah, so it's not like they are, you know, carbon copies of each other. They are quite opposites. But at the same time, it feels like Rafa Garcia is the newer version of Clay Guida. Clay used to make his money on being a pressure guy that could wrestle, strike in the pocket. But beyond that, dog and a bone, just continuously pursuing those takedowns. And he had very solid cardio. That's what's been able to carry him is that he could fight the old generation guys and grind them down. He could fight these new generation guys that just can't quite wrestle and also grind them down. Is he slowing down? Sure. Is his striking improving? No, it's not. His striking is never something he can rely on for the most part. His ability to sustain damage, legendary, but certainly starting to see a little bit of squeaks here and there. A um, couple fights back against uh, against Scott Holtzman. Again, like it's Holtzman. Sorry, that, that's his last fight. Holtzman's getting tired in that fight the longer it goes. Early, he's got him He's got him edge in the striking, and he's got takedown defense good enough to keep it standing. There's the key. He can't take you down. He's not going to strike with you for 15 minutes. But it's the longer the fight goes, Holtzman tires. Holtzman's 36, retires right after the fight, hadn't fought for a while, and he's got a bunch of injuries. As much as I did pick him and I was rooting for him, he was just you know ready to sail off into the sunset, and he did shortly thereafter. Clay still beats those guys. Rafa at 28? Not, not not such. And again, Rafa fights the exact same way that Clay does. He likes to stay in your face. He's got some not great striking, but it's pressure striking. Back you up towards the cage and then shoot those takedowns. Dog on a bone. And when you think about dog on a bone, he's just been racking up massive takedowns in almost all of his fights. Six against Maha shot his last time out. Three against Jakar Close. And Jakar Close is a good wrestler. Three against Jesse Ronson. Seven against Natan Levy. Five against Chris Grutzmacher. Is he going to go out there and take down Clay Guida? Probably not. But it's it possible. But I think it's that use your own wrestling to keep this guy off of you. Bully him around in the clinch because Garcia is very strong in the clinch. Bully him around there. Keep this thing on the standing. Keep this thing at range if you can. And then you're just you're faster. You're more athletic. You hit a little bit harder. You should be able to beat him up. When I think back of of, of him versus Chris Grutzmacher, it's a terrible version of Ralph Garcia. If he gasses out, and fights that kind of fight, he loses to Clay. But again, that fight's two years ago, almost three years ago. And he's been getting a lot better. Full-time in Las Vegas with some excellent training partners. You can start to see that the work is starting to, get, to, to come together for him. He's a guy with good cardio, decent volume, and I think that he matches up decent against Clay Guida. A minus 250, I don't like it because it's probably going to be a largely in-the-clinch, slower-paced type fight. Um, but again, I just don't think Clay's going to pull this one off. So got to go with Rafa Garcia. 
I'm leaning towards Clay just because of the money line. We'll see where the where it goes. I added a little bit of plus two ten. Really, really small little play. Trying to beat some steam. Didn't beat the steam, but um say la vie, that's the game. Um my struggle here is you go back his last 14 fights, and this brings you back to 2015. Clay Guida's been taken down twice, and he's got, like, yeah, 14 fights over those eight years. And, I mean, on prize picks, they've got uh, they got Rafa Garcia's takedown total set at two. I know that he's been going way over that in a lot of his other matchups. It could very well be like he gets two, maybe he gets to three, but it's like, I don't think it's going to be as easy as it was against Natan Levy. And he gave up three takedowns against Natan Levy. Are we going to be stunned if Clay Guida comes out here and has the wrestling advantage? He's able to force him up against the cage. He's able to take him down um, at will. Like he got taken down three times by, or yeah, Rafa Garcia got taken down three times by uh by Natan Levy he's been taken down in pretty much all of his or against most of his opponents uh of late so yeah Dracar Close was able to take him down twice um and then that's it but I don't know and if if it's kind of close like you go through like the significant strike totals for Rafa Garcia it's like he's not eclipsing anything over over 72. The guy who showed up against Chris Grutzmacher, sure, he got five takedowns, but 72 significant strikes, gave up 100 significant strikes. Like, that was a really, really bad look. I just think that this could be razor, razor close. And plus 210. There's even plus 230s that are surfacing right now. It's like maybe wait later in the week and you may be, may be able to scoop up a plus 250 or even better, like a clay by decision. I don't think it's a terrible look. I'm not completely sold on what I've seen from Rafa Garcia. Um, Have you, is there, a, is there a line out there for a clay on a split? Because here'd be greasy theory for you. If he's, clay's going to win, give me a close greasy fight. Clay yeah. on a split decision, yeah, it happens. But the one thing a, a guy like Clay has, no matter where he goes, if there's fans, is that they're Clay Guida fans. Mm-hmm. You'll hear the Guida chant. You'll hear. Hear them get behind him, and all of a sudden, he lands one takedown in a round he's otherwise losing. Could be close, and if you can get like a, you'd have to get a big plus money price tag. You're, putting, you're betting an underdog. You're betting a live underdog by a split decision of all things. Split or majority, most books will give you. Um, if you can get a really good price on that, yeah, not crazy, not crazy. I mean, you live in the land of milk and honey, Cody. I'm out here in the. Uh... Yeah, we're 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 living in the past out here on in East Coast Canada. Still, we don't have the luxury of all the sports books. I'm looking up at one of the sports books. None of them pay us any money these days, so I don't have to mention any of their names. But let's see if they have those props up. It may be a little bit. Go too to Prize Picks and sign up. Yeah, go <laughs> have... DOP, baby. They'll match your first deposit. Go DOP, but uh, but no. What, what I'm saying is, I don't know. I'm looking to see if there's any split decision props up there right now method of victory fight props i don't even know where to look on these sites because i don't even have access to it either way i bet you that'll be i bet you a clay um by decision or by split decision will be like a lot of them get set at like 12 14 to 1 like it'll be super super wide don't hate that look whatsoever i'm sure some of the other people who are split decision aficionados will be thinking similarly on that one 
Yeah, my my book hasn't uh, put it out yet, but I, I would imagine you get a you would get a good prize. Oh, definitely. And yeah, Clay, uh, we we used to make a joke out of it. It's just like find someone that looks at you the way the judges look at Clay Guida in a close fight. Like he gets a lot of these close decisions. Like I I, I think this just could People be relevant. Like going back to the Grootsmacher, that one cost both of us a whole bunch of money. Everyone was fading oh, yeah. Grootsmacher and. Yeah, it was another. It was kind of a really close. He got the takedowns in that fight, but it's like he kind of was very gassed after the first because he was like, "I'm going to kill him." So in the first round, it's takedown, 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 big strikes. In the second round, he's sucking wind, and Grusmok is still alive, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Worked his way back into it. So I agree. If if he tires, he's taking on Clay, who's never tired a day in his life. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to have a serious problem. It's that I'm looking at it as he tired against Grusmok. He's 25 years old. Second fight. In the UFC or third fight in the UFC, I think it was his fight with Natan Levy. Yeah, not a great fight. A lot of reversals in that. So you're right, but uh, I don't know. I just think he's getting better, man. He trains with good guys. He's 28 now. He's getting a little more comfortable. His last fight with Maha shot was Maha shit. Uh, <laughs> but the, just, he got the he did what he had to do. He had, did what he had to do. His cardio looked good. I think he's getting better. But I but now you're making me feel worried about it. I'll tell you what. Do you want to do a two to one shoey bet here? I can't give you three to one. I give you two to one shoey. Um, I'm not that confident yet. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Hit me back at the end of the episode. We'll we'll, we'll see if uh, if I'm thinking differently. I'm, I'm the one that's worried. I think old man Clay, who's cost me money on many spots but before old, because he's, he's like the ageless wonder of the world. His big fat brother uh, smacks, slaps him up. Jason Guida slaps him up in the face before he goes in there. He burps between rounds. He's starting, he had magnificent hair that's now balding, and yet dude still comes out and fights. In between, Claudio Puelas, bum, 23 years old, knee bars him in like two minutes, mm -hmm. and then he took a grappling match against Chase Hooper, bum, 21 years old, who also like knee bars him in the first round. Like, like sometimes he's real good, sometimes he's real bad. I'm betting on him being real bad, but at minus 250, I'm the sucker. Because you're getting plus money, and if he shows up real good, yeah, yeah, you, you win this fight. All right, two to one, Shuey. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We gotta, we gotta make up for for Chase last week. All right, we got uh, Bill Aljo taking on TJ, TJ Brown, uh, minus two fifty for Aljo, plus two, plus one seventy for TJ Brown. Who you got here, bud? So Bill Ojeo tends to struggle with his takedown defense. Other than that, I think the guy's pretty solid. And for the record, like he did wrestle in high school. Like the guy is competent in the wrestling department, but he's got a high center of gravity. He's not the most muscular guy. And they typically book him against guys that are just a little more physically strong than him. Him giving up those takedowns seems to be pretty crucial on all of his losses, really. Ricardo Lamas, the five takedowns. He fought a beautiful fight against Lamas in his UFC debut. Five takedowns definitely hurt him. His fight with Brendan Lucan in the Contender Series gave up three. His fight with Spike Carlisle, he had given up four. That was a fight that he had to make a comeback in because he's giving up those early takedowns. Gave up eight against Ricardo Ramos. That was his worst performance to date, a fight that he really wasn't in at any point because he gave up eight takedowns. He could never get his game going. Furthermore, he beat Joanna Brito and got taken down twice. He beat Herbert Burns, a, a massive gasser. But he, he got taken down the one time. His fight with Andre Feely's last time at split decision loss got taken down. Overall takedown defense of 55%. So you shoot 10 takedowns on this guy, you're probably going to get four or five of them by the numbers. You watch the tape on him. It's 
the same thing as the numbers. He's get, he gets taken out you know, fairly often. That's going to be a problem. Great volume. Cast iron chin. BJJ Blanc belt. Um, very good volume. Makes good choices in there. But it's like there is most definitely one little kryptonite to his game. At TJ Brown, I don't really think TJ Brown's all that good. But a couple things going for him. One, he's from Kansas. I don't know if he's from Kansas as much as he trained in Kansas. He was a glory MMA and fitness guy for a long time with James Krause. I don't really know where he's at right now. Probably should have looked into it. But maybe he's going to get that pop from the crowd. Maybe he's going to have people there to see him. Maybe he's going to be able to feed off that energy. But like the one thing that I think TJ Brown does well is that he can score takedowns. He absolutely can. What he does with them is up to him. He's a decent grappler, but I would give the grappling advantage to Aljo. I don't think TJ Brown's submitting Bill Aljo as much as he could potentially just ground him. His last fight against Eric Silva, he scored three. His fight with uh, Shaylin Nurmbayake got one. Six against Charles Rosa, two against Kai Kamaka, seven against Jordan Griffin, five against Dylan Lockhart. Overall, you know, he scores not just a takedown. For the most part, he scores multiple takedowns, and I think it's going to be on the table. The thing is, is that the longer you see him fight, I feel like all that takedowns, all that wrestling, it exerts a lot of energy. It tends to slow him down a little bit and tire him out. In the first round, he's dangerous the longer it goes. Go back to that Jordan Griffin fight. Seven takedowns all in the first round. And he keeps sticking his head into a guillotine choke. Finally, he tires and taps to the guillotine choke. So he needs to pace himself a lot better. And I think that's going to be the issue. Is LJO's got excellent cardio. The takedowns will work early, but Bill should be able to use his jiu-jitsu to hopefully get back up. But more so than that, just make him work. Make him work. And then once he doesn't get those takedowns later in the fight, the uh, the striking volume should start to rack up with Bill LJO en route to a decision victory. Maybe a late stoppage, but probably a decision victory for Bill LJO. Again, and we've mentioned this about a lot of other fights on this card, excellent live betting opportunity, right? If TJ Brown's taking Bill down in the first round, you have an option here. You have an option to either get a much better price tag on Bill LJO to start the second and third round, or... Pull the plug. Like, if he's getting taken down and he's not doing shit off of his back, just don't bet him at all, right? But I don't love betting him pre-flop, given that I know he's going to go through, you know, some trials and tribulations for the first five or six minutes. I do think that, similar to other guys on the card, he will end up winning at the end of the day because it's not a one-round fight. It's a three-round fight. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. Um, Yeah, Bill, easy to take down. Great cardio, but probably gives up takedowns early and... Another one of those fights, and I feel like this next fight that we're going to talk about is kind of the exact same. we got Mateus, Mateus Nicolau taking on Brandon Royval. Nicolau a minus 210 favorite. Royval can be had for plus 180. Royval comes, out, comes at you out of, uh, out of a shotgun. It's super, super fast, super aggressive. He's going for spinning techniques. He's throwing crazy strikes. He's trying to uh, land flashy submissions on you. And then it kind of it tends to slow down a little bit. We haven't really seen the ability to maintain that pace over the course of 15 minutes. Nicolau, on the other hand, very, very technically sound in his approach. It's going to be very interesting. Like, is Nicolau confident enough in his BJJ to just, you know, barrel his head down, get takedowns, and hang out and guard down there? His takedowns on prize picks uh, is one and a half. I thought that was... That could be very, very easy for him. Or he goes, you know, in this matchup, particularly early in the fight, you know, the 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 mat will just be hot lava because Roy Val is very, very dangerous, particularly in the first seven and a half minutes. 
Um, I think over t- – yeah, it's one of those ones that, like, minus 210 pre-flop. It's just, like, I don't really look like, – I don't really want to be too excited about, you know, laying the chalk at minus 210 and then seeing Roy Val just have an absolutely monster first round. You're feeling like a complete moron for playing chalk. But I think eventually Mateus Nicolau gets the job done here. And under two and a half rounds – is minus 120. That seems pretty good for a Roy Val fight. So maybe getting in on the uh, the total here under two and a half rounds. What do you think about this fight? Yeah, man, I'm going to agree with all your points. Uh, I think the under two and a half looks pretty good because Brandon Roy Val is a crazy person. He likes to fight at a very exciting pace. And for as dangerous as he is and capable of finishing people in under two and a half, He's also kind of frail, man, and very capable of getting finished in under two and a half. You look at all of his losses um, so far in the UFC. Anyways, Alexander Pantoja, the rear naked choke under the first round. But a fight that he had dislocated his shoulder in. He was booked to fight Amir Al-Bazi in December 2022, so four months ago, and he pulls out with a broken wrist. He's pulled out of a few fights with some injuries along the way, and he's been injured during the course of the fight as well. Even his last fight, which was the Matt Schnell fight, he got zapped in the first round, man. Like, he is on his way to getting KO'd. Matt Schnell makes the mistake of being like, well, I'm good on the ground. I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and this guy's half KO'd. Why not follow him on the ground? No, 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 no. This guy's extremely dangerous. Uh, They call him Raw Dog because he's willing to take risks. I just made that up, but I'm assuming it's got to be something like that. Don't want to be raw dogging people, kids. Main thing is, is that Brandon Royval is very much playing with fire, but he's not there to fight with fire and play with fire for 15 minutes. He's going to be like an under one and a half, under two rounds kind of guy. But two snake allow, if anything, is very durable. I'd like to see him be a little more exciting. I'd like to see him be, you know, say, a little more aggressive, but I think he's still getting it. He's a uh, girlfriend's Luana Panero. Did she beat Michelle Waterson on the weekend? I, well, I mean, she did beat Michelle Waterson on the weekend. Close fight. Could have gone either way. Could have scored it for Waterson. The main thing is that I think seeing that you're training out of American top team, you're, you're still young, you're making improvements, and you're starting to inch your way into contention. It's got to keep you motivated. I'm expecting a good version of him. I'm expecting a smart version of him because he generally is. But he's got accurate counters. He's a very good accurate counter puncher. And if you look back, say, two fights ago from Matus Nicolau, he goes the distance with the David Dvorak. Not his finest performance, kind of a low-volume performance. But, I mean, he does score a clean knockdown on Dvorak. Uh, just is unable to put him away. His next fight with Matt Schnell, the same Matt Schnell that had, you know, that had uh, Roy Val on rubbery legs big time. He, he looked very accurate. He knocks him down twice, very clean, puts him away. Schnell, a guy that could be considered a little bit chinny, but so was Brandon Roy Val. And I think that's the key is just he might be chaotic. He might be coming at you. Just, you know, mind your P's and Q's and play it smart. The opening will open itself. He will present you the opening. You just got to be there to capitalize. And I think Matus Nicolau should be there. Don't love this money line. And I would love to just chase it by taking Matus Nicolau inside the distance, probably more specifically by knockout. Other flyweights. And it's not as if he's knocking out everybody. He's just coming off a knockout over Matt Schnell of all people. So like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I hate when I lose, but I lost, like I was chasing a prop because I got greedy with it. So I probably just play Matus Nicolau straight up and then hit that under two and a half because it's a generous price. Yeah, I'm just uh, locking in uh, under two and a half at minus 110 right now. It's minus 120 in some spots. I, I, I mean, 
some people there's probably a few people on earth that got like the there was an opener of like plus 160 which lasted about like three minutes you know how these yeah. things are yeah um, well there's great guys that'll just sit there and wait for the opener and hit it i don't know my limits my soft limits is like 120 bucks it's, like, it's pretty soft i heard other people could get you know three four hundred dollars on a soft limit but you're not i don't think you're making life-changing money hitting a soft soft opener no like let's see what's at this book that i'm looking at right now the limit would be like three grand on that um okay but we're but we're later like this is considered like this is wednesday right like when when those opened um month ago when those opened i I don't think the totals opened like a month ago but when that actually opened in this that would have been about three days ago and yeah, it lasted about five minutes and it was down to plus 120. And then it's been just slowly kind of creeping its way down. It'll probably be like minus 150 by fight time. Um, that, that would be my guess. All right. Uh, moving on down, we've got how we go from fast paced to slow paced. Because Zach Cummings <laughs> taking on Ed Herman. I mean, I, I thought Ed Herman had retired. I, I legitimately thought this was a, kind of the last we'd seen of him. Uh, Zach Cummings is a minus 210 favorite. Ed Herman can be had for plus 180. I mean, both of these guys are very slow, very plodding. Um, I guess the hometown crew will be on the Zach Cummings train. He does, he's been a glory guy from through thick or thin, uh, as far as I know. I don't know what he's up to, where he's training for this exact camp. Um, er, her... Uh, Herman last time out was UFC 265 against Menafield. Like, well, I thought I legitimately thought he retired. This this is not the first person I thought legitimately like just like either died or retired on this card. There's another person a little bit later down the card that is like I just thought that they were gone. Um, I don't. I haven't really put too much thought into this one. Quite clearly, I'll go with Zach Cummings because Ed Herman's dust. Um, who you got here, buddy? Yeah, it's like hard to gauge, man. A hundred percent. It's like what you got Zach Cummings that's been off for three years coming back. The last time he fought, they were like right in the heat of the COVID, right? Like, hasn't done anything since then. He, I know he's been injured. I know he had to pull out of a scheduled bout, and has uh, kind of just been dealing with some injuries but 38 years old off three years not only that but like zach cummings at his best if you remember his like slick little run there it was 2015 eight years ago and he knocks out dominic Steele at 170 pounds he beat nicholas dalby which was a nice one at 170 went the distance with santiago Ponzinibbio at 170 beat alexander yakovlev the rapper 170 beat nathan coy one of the the american top team's coaches like one of the badass team captains of the team at 170 then he moves up to 185 the results weren't quite there for him now he's coming back three years later at 205 pounds like how could that how could you get any confidence out of that herman meanwhile yeah he won the ultimate sorry he was second on the ultimate fire lost to kendall grove in the finals um at 185 pounds he probably his best fights in the ufc were also at 185 but he's got a lot more experience at 205 he's actually a big body bjj black belt i would think if this thing hit the ground, Ed Herman's a little more 
I don't know. He's the bigger, stronger guy. And I would say that Zach Cummings is the smaller, quicker guy. The thing is, you mentioned on to start the breakdown, it's like it's slow versus slow. And it is. But I think Cummins, a former welterweight, younger than Herman, more agile than Herman, smaller than Herman. I think he can just stay to the outside and just beat him to the punch. Don't even engage in the grappling. Why would you want to grapple against the bigger guy who kind of just has that last left, that last thing left in him? And the UFC's done excellent matchmaking. They know that Herman can't be anybody else in the division they know that zach cummings in his current situation moving up a weight class injuries three-year long layoff probably doesn't beat a whole lot of guys in the division as well so matching them up together in a seniors fight in a, in a legends fight maybe not even legends uh i don't know it's just like it's, it's your senior division i know that probably sounds disrespectful but being considered a senior in sports means you're like 35 plus let's be real so i i'd like the matchmaking who wins it i gotta go with speed i gotta go with the exact Cummings to just beat them on the feet, keep it close, feed off the crowd. If this thing is close, hopefully they are going to give it for the hometown guy. And I think that he's probably going to put up a little more volume than Ed Herman. I think that his grappling is good enough that if Herman grabs a hold of him, he should be able to keep it upright. If the fight does hit the ground, again, Zach Cummings, a little better cardio, um, has some decent scrambles, should be able to maybe get back up. He doesn't have James Krause in his ear telling him to throw the fight, so you don't got to worry about that. I, I, I think I would go Zach Cummings to get the job done. So I as much as I'm a big short fuse fan, he was one of my original favorite fighters way back in the day, Team Quest, Oregon guy. Uh, I, 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 like you, and I love the guy, did not realize he was still on the roster. What is going on there? And uh, I, of all people, should have known that. So the fact that they're even willing to put this thing together, they're hoping Zach Cummins is selling tickets in Kansas or something. I, I don't know. You know, yeah, short fuse may be giving up a little bit of speed maybe a little bit older he's got a better head of hair than uh zach cummings so we'll we'll give him we'll give short fuse that but yeah uh zach cummings zach, zach cummings his last fight as well he, he's probably about to lose to alicia di Chirico. i had a 1-1 going in the third and he's about to lose a third and there's one second left and he kicked di Chirico in the head and folded him and the buzzer went and it's not a knockout win it's a decision but that one shot, it caused all the judges to be like, well, how could you not score the third from He would have lost that fight if not landing that one kick. If he loses that fight, the UFC probably cuts him. But because he won, got to get another one, and they're putting it together. So you gotta- maybe you just want to crack a cold beer and enjoy this one for uh, for however long it lasts. I think it's going 15, to be honest with you. But uh, it could also last 10 seconds with uh, these guys' current resumes and statures. Yeah, you got to wonder if these guys are even... If this fight even happens, if it's not in Kansas City and, and Zach Cummings wants to fight in front of, like, his home crowd. You know what I mean? And they're like, who's, like, a really, really long in the tooth? He's like, they're like, have you been training the last three years? It's like, no. It's just like, all right, we'll, we'll get short fuse on the phone. Like, that's kind of how it feels like this fight came to be because I kind of forgot about both of them, to be perfectly honest. I'm thinking Ed Herman calls up Dana and says, Dana, I've been a loyal, you know, servant. I've been a loyal guy. I've been taking all the tough fights that you guys have offered me. I fought for the company for well over a decade. I was, you know, one of the stars of my season of The Ultimate Fighter. I think it was season three, three, season three, maybe three and four. I think it's season three. Anyways, it's like this guy's an absolute badass, right? He's been through there. I don't doubt that it's like, listen, man, my hip is done. I need some work. Now I don't got no health insurance. Sign me to a one-fight deal. Let me get your health insurance, and I'll fight somebody you put in front of me. Uh, they've been known to leave guys on the There's honestly, if you were to go through the roster, there's guys that haven't fought in three, four years. 
they're still on the roster for no other reason than they use the healthcare stuff. Because the UFC is not this evil monster that everybody thinks that they are. They got a thousand employees, right? You can't take care of everybody. That's the sad reality of it. But uh, these guys like Herman and, and, uh, and Zach Cummings, there's no reason for them to be on the roster, but they kind of do take care of those guys that have had some service. They, they did their recent round of cuts, though. And there's like, I don't know, 10 guys got cut. Nine of them are coming off a loss. Augusto Sakai is coming off a win. They released him as well. His contract was just up. I, I don't doubt that win or lose, both these guys you probably don't see in the UFC again. Yeah, totally agree. All right, we got Jillian Robertson taking on Piera Rodriguez. Minus 130 for Robertson, plus 110 for Piera Rodriguez. What are your thoughts on this one, Code? I'll just steal a line from Mayo here and take my plus 110. Is it dog money? <laughs> no, not really. But honestly, Piera Rodriguez, I'm hoping she's just going to be getting more comfortable. She's not particularly young, but she's young in MMA years. Um, coming into the UFC, she beats Kay Hansen her last time out against Sam Hughes. Work in progress, no doubt about it, right? Does her cardio need to get short up a little bit? Yeah, but she fights at a pretty hectic pace. Her wrestling's good. I think she overexerts herself a little bit. It's not so much technique as it's, it's strength, and it kind of does tire her a little bit. Her striking, heavy. Again, she probably throws a little too much into those shots, and I'm really hoping that the longer she fights and the more experience that she accrues, she'll be okay. If you look at her camp, she trains with Mackenzie Dern. She trains with uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. She trains with a lot of girls that are specifically very, very, very good at Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She's worked her game around sprawl and brawl, stuff those shots, keep it standing, batter her opponent. She's capable of getting takedowns. In fact, she's got solid wrestling. Her last time out against um, Hughes, I think she put it on pretty good display. I think she lands five. Let me just check that to make sure it was, was it five takedowns? Five takedowns over Sam Hughes her last time out. Outlands are 83 to 69. Sam Hughes four and one in her last five, and quite honestly, that win over her has aged quite well. Like Sam Page is winning fights in the UFC; you can't take that away from her. So I think Piera Rodriguez is solid. She just lacks that experience that she's going to develop as time goes. Julian Robertson, she probably has the experience level uh, edge. She's fucked about her level competition, and she's got solid grappling. I find that she struggles to mix in her wrestling. I feel like when the fights are on the ground, Robertson's got a nasty back take. Robertson's got very solid top control doesn't uh, make a whole lot of mistakes but if you can back her up and hit her standing she's not super comfortable her reactionary takedown is not that good if she's not the aggressor her cardio again she exerts herself in a lot of these exchanges i think she's primed for the taking when you look at these fights that she's winning maria agapova uh first of all just no ground game right so that's something pierre rodriguez shouldn't have to worry about but beyond that agapova outstruck her 39 to 4 before getting submitted and that first round she's just styling on her before getting taken down. Robertson's striking, not that good. Her fight with J.J. Aldrich, she did take her down. She did take her back. And Jillian Robertson just turns right into her and just scrambles back on top. Like, it's not a world-class grappling game. It's just good grappling for women's MMA this this division, right? So J.J. Aldrich, same thing. I think exposes her a bit. Her fight with Priscilla Cachoeira, I poke aside. Cachoeira is smoking her on the feet. And then she's able to get her down and grab the rear naked choke. So none of these are flawless victories i think she struggles in a lot of those spots and she doesn't look comfortable standing she can rely on the fights eventually hitting the ground against pierre rodriguez for the first two rounds i don't see julia robertson having a ton of success with the wrestling and i think rodriguez wins the striking in the third well i think rodriguez or sorry julian robertson would be tired in the third too tired to get the finish she'll need a finish in the third worst case scenario for pierre rodriguez is she loses that third round she should still win this fight 29 28 so plus 110 i think she wins the fight 
right? Doesn't it didn't really matter what the odds were? She could have been the minus one thirty versus plus one ten Julian Robinson. I was picking Rodriguez, but if I can get a slight dog pick out of it, I feel even better. See, I I, I enacted the uh, the CF dot model a little bit too early. It was like Friday last week. I grabbed Julian Robertson at plus one oh nine. Hmm. Now it's flipped. Well, you know. So what? here's the yeah, only the only argument close. I can make is that um, a lot of these other fights for Jillian Robertson have been at 125. This is back down at 115. So maybe that extra 10 pounds, if she can make the cut easy, will allow her to control her opponent a little bit better here. She does have some pretty sneaky jujitsu when she gets the fight to the mat. Um, but Pierre Rodriguez is in the right type of room. I think it's a super, super close fight. Um, it's one of those spots where it's like, I'm just trying to beat steam, uh, trying to beat some of these, these line moves these days. And, uh, yeah, so I've got Robertson at like a half decent price, but, um, not going to be stunned if I, uh, if I absolutely lose it, but I'm going to pick Robertson, um, because I already have money on Jillian Robertson, um, Maybe yeah, maybe coming back down to one fifteen will uh, will help her out a little bit there. Maybe well, no, the it won't help her out in cardio, fought. but it would help her out in strength. Yeah, yeah. Or, the last time she fought at one fifteen was twenty seventeen against Hannah Cyphers, and she missed weight, came in at one sixteen and a half, a half pound miss, oof. and then has fought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 13 fights at 125. So she's... And now she's going back down to 115. So, you know what? I'm feeling better about my plus 110. But yeah, wait for weigh-ins. I think that's the key. Like, if she looks really good, great. But if she doesn't look good at all, which is entirely possible, if she doesn't make weight, which is also possible, uh, yeah, well, maybe you'll get some better information. You did miss out. You did leave out the fact that she subbed Hannah Cyphers, Boom, uh, Boomhauer, um, in the second round of that fight. Just, just saying. So her UFC, re- what you're telling me is her UFC record at strawweight is what undefeated. Correct. Ooh. Well, technically, she didn't make straw weight. So the UFC <laughs> record at catch weight. She's undefeated in catch weight fights. If that means anything. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not too confident on either side of it. You picking? You're picking uh, Pierre Rodriguez. I got Jillian Robertson. We will find out on Saturday night. We got uh, Daniel Zell Huber taking on Groovy Lando Zanata. Minus 120, Zell, Zell Huber, plus 110, or plus 100 for uh, Groovy Lando. I mean, <sighs> Zell Huber was such a massive letdown. <laughs> My God. I mean, the fight on, against Almeida on Contender Series, he got rocked in, like, round one against him. But, it's like, he showed that it's, like, super, super tall, long, seems to have, like, weapons that he can build upon, like, looked like a half-decent prospect on tape, and then he shows up in that Trey Ogden fight. And honestly, it, this has crossed my mind, Cody. Greasy theory, but it's just like, when I was watching that fight, I was just like, did Kraus get to this kid or something? Like, who is this guy? This is not the guy I watched on tape who went, like, against, against Ogden. It's like, I don't know if it was UFC jitters. I don't know. He just wasn't really throwing his hands. He seemed just completely lost in there. 
And then now we're in Kansas City, Cody. So I'm like, maybe he's like a, a secret Krause agent. I don't know. Um, I'm tempted to play La- Groovy Lando because wh- what did Zell Huber show us last time out? Groovy's a way better grappler, submission expert, and a way better striker than Trey Ogden, and he's plus 100 here. Like, I don't know. If that's, I mean, I think we saw the absolute floor for Zell Huber in that fight. Can he turn up? make some adjustments, be a lot better this time out. Absolutely. That's definitely on the table. But I don't, it's just that that performance against Trey Ogden is just like, I will not be hitting submit until further notice on any wager on Daniel Zellhuber because that was just, that was just, it was, it was pitiful. It was absolutely pitiful. Um, the exact opposite of like what you want to put your money behind when you're making a bet and what you expect from like a minus 300 favorite. Like it was just straight up bad. So don't know how I can even come to like post a ticket on him after that performance. Doesn't mean I'm going to necessarily bet groovy Lando, but I'll be picking him for the purposes of this show. Well, what's your take here? Yeah, same here. Like I'm the idiot that bet Rosas Jr. as a favorite, even though he's 18 years old. Because honestly, you want to believe these great stories. You want to look at the tape. You want to see, you know, great characteristics and believe that they're going to come out in better version of themselves. But the bottom line is, they're young, man. They're super young. They're inexperienced. They've not fought this level of competition, and now they get the bright lights put in their face. Zell Hooper looked pretty solid. They call him the Golden Boy. Let's literally analyze it. He fought absolutely nobody on the Kombache and uh, Jasaji regional scene before coming over to the Contender Series. On the Contender Series, likely his first real step up in competition, considering he fought a guy that was 0-0 before he fought Lucas Almeida on the Contender Series. Anyways, Lucas Almeida on the Contender Series rocked him bad in the first round, beat him up in the first round. Zell Huber comes back in the second and the third. Again, I think you can look back and say, you know, solid performance for a young kid and he made the adjustments. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a flawless victory. It wasn't a fight where you should really say this kid, you know, got all these great skills. It was it was good to see a kid come back from a little bit of adversity. But he didn't look good in that first round. The Ogden fight, you believe it. The guys in Kansas say he's good. The guys in Las Vegas say he's good. Max Roshkoff had been working with him, said he was real good. The kid's still young. He's improving. He's getting better. And he seems to have really high volume. And then against Ogden, none of that's there. No grappling. No, no volume, no confidence, no ability to use your jab. He just stood there and stared at him. So will he be a better version this time? Almost certainly. But how much of a better version? Because like you said, Levin Venata's leaps and bounds better than Trey Ogden, and you just handed Ogden a victory. So even if you come in as a better version, you're taking on a better guy. It's not like you're fighting Ogden again. It's not like you're fighting a step down from Ogden. You're fighting a guy in Lando Venata that's fought Bobby Green twice. He's fought Tony Ferguson. He's been in there with, you know, a lot of the who's who's of the division. And for the most part, giving himself a 50-50 resume, you know, 50% of the time, he's just not that good. 50% of the time, man, he is on point. His fight with Yancey Medeiros, he was fast. He was accurate. His fight with Mike Grundy. Mike Grundy, the former Commonwealth medalist, can't take down Lando and hold him down. Lando actually takes down Grundy late in the fight. Styles on him. That's him at his best. He's just so 50-50. Like even that Ferguson fight, you know, his UFC debut, massive underdog, drops him with a spinning back fist, you know, drops him again early in the first round, then falls apart. 50% of the time, he's very talented. 50% of the time, I just don't see it. He was out of Greg Jackson's for a while. He left Jackson's to go to Jackson, Akama, 
which is where I think John Jones gets some rounds in these days. He's kind of been a floater. He's groovy Lando. You know, I think he half-asses it here and there. He dropped down to 145 for his last number of fights and I thought was looking more disciplined, but he's coming back up to 155 for this. Does that help him? Probably not having to cut that much weight. 31 years old, some decent amount of wear and tear on the body. Probably helps him out. But yeah, is he now going in there taking a much longer, bigger, uh, more athletic prospect? Yeah, yeah. He's going to be giving up a lot of advantages. Like you, man, I got to take that plus money on Lando or just pass altogether. It's a dog or a pass. Lando's the dog. I'm going to take the dog. I think that wrestling-wise, he has one semester of college wrestling, but kid was a decent enough wrestler, is uh, good at dropping low, getting the fights to the ground. And when the fights are on the ground, he's a very good scrambler. I would give him the grappling advantage. I would give him the wrestling advantage. His striking is certainly unorthodox, um, but I think being unorthodox is going to cause Zell Huber to freeze up again. Because it's one thing when you're in the gym working with a guy who's just Dutch stock style Muay Thai or Thai style Muay Thai or Western boxing. They fight a certain kind of prototypical way. Lando doesn't. Everything he throws is offbeat. You know, his his angles are a lot quirkier. I think those are the kind of guys that cause you to get overloaded in there, sensory overloaded. What's this guy doing? And then all of a sudden he's hitting you and he's making you work. And I can see the fans getting behind him because he's got an exciting style. So um yeah, again, not every favorite's going to win. Zell Huber just absolutely laid an egg his last time out. I got to see him fight a couple solid performances before I could change my opinion. Because as of now, I can only base him on his recent performance. Lando's crafty enough to hopefully squeeze one out. So love to see the weigh-ins just because Venata's going back to 55 and Zell Huber figures to be a little bit taller than him. But uh, I'll take the underdog as well. All right, we got Bruno Brazil taking on Denise Gomez, minus 170 for Bruno Brazil, plus 145 for Gomez. Who do you got here? Yeah, so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of your time here, but I'm going to take Bruno Brazil in this one. If you look at her 5'6 with a 65-inch reach, right, against Denise's Gomez 5'2 with a 63-inch reach, it, it appears to me on tape like Bruno Brazil is just a lot longer, a lot rangier, and from the outside is going to have a big striking advantage, I would believe. Um, again, when you're the shorter fighter and you're getting sparked from the outside, it's up to you to get to the inside, make it dirty. And Gomez can do that, but I think she would need to mix in her wrestling. That would be her key to winning, is fighting inside the pocket, overcoming the length and reach a disadvantage, getting on the inside, and then hopefully peeling her into the ground. But Bruno Brazil looks physically strong, I think. Her get-up game on the Contender Series fight looked pretty solid. I think that she's strong. I think she's got a little more power. And I think that she should be able to just win the exchanges from the outside. The only one worry would be a 15-minute fight. You know, like she may start out well, win those early exchanges, stay upright. And then the longer the fight goes, you start to get tired. The more tired you get, the fight starts to get sloppy. The more sloppier the fight gets, you're making mistakes. When you make mistakes is when you end up giving that takedown. It when, when you end up giving up your back, when you end up giving up the last minute of a close round and losing it. So Pat would say, just take the plus money, and he wouldn't be wrong. This is that kind of fight for sure. But I think Bruno Brazil's reach, strength, take on defense, should be able to squeak her at the fight. Yeah. Um, I, I scooped some Denise Gomez at plus 200. Not a bad move. Um, back, on, back on Sunday, which... I like that, obviously, now it's like, you know, plus 145 in a bunch of spots. I think that the line right now is pretty accurate. Like, I think it is like a 60-40 split. I think Bruno Brazil is a lot cleaner, uh, cleaner striker. She's very, very flashy in her techniques. Denise Gomez, you broke it down pretty, pretty well. It's like she's going to have to get inside. She's going to have to make this super, super ugly. Like, she held her own pretty well against Loma Luke Bumi, who's 
of at least experienced in the in the UFC was able to throw up some submissions had some good spots particularly in round 3 against her on the ground she was taken down four times um but from how i see this fight fighting out like Bruno Brazil should have a massive advantage from range she's got way faster cleaner technique from out there um, and Gomez is going to have to make this dog fight. So a plus 200, didn't really mind it. Once we get down into the like plus 150 type of range, it's like, I think the market's kind of correct on this one. But, um, and uh, my biggest question with Bruno Brazil is like, what does she look like? You know, she obviously got the second round finish against our uh, on contender series, but it's like, can she, if it turns into like a wall install, a little bit of a, a drag. Can she go a full 15? Like, we don't really have those answers for her. So, at plus 200, I was fine with dropping a little bit of a sprinkle on it. But um, not a fun. I'm getting overly, overly uh, invested in by any stretch of the imagination. Gaston Bolanos takes on Aaron Phillips. The other person on this card that I thought was, I thought he was dead. I didn't think that this guy was anywhere around anymore. Um, I completely forgot that he existed, completely thought, ah, he's, you know, if someone said, whatever happened to Aaron Phillips, I'd be like, oh, he probably went off to, like, you know, some regional show and then lost. He probably went over to Russia, got brought in against some, like, some savage that we've never heard of, lost, and then you just never hear from him again. Um, It was 2020, July of 2020 was the last time that he was in there. Jack Shore gets a second round rear naked choke finish of him that was his UFC debut and that was we're coming up on three years ago for him so kind of wild not entirely sure what he was up to Gaston Bolanos me and uh, and Kent Carter main event Kent Carter Um, we went to a what's the name of that promotion starts with an L lion fight lion fight Muay Thai card um, in Vegas at the, I believe it was at the Pearl at the Palms, um, way back. Like probably we're talking like 2016, 2017. I mean, if I look at Gaston Bolano's record, I could probably find it. I think it was Lion Fight 20 in 2015. Wow. That really makes me feel old. No wait, No, no, it wasn't that one. Maybe it was his debut. I think it was his actual, his, his like professional debut in 2014 against somebody named against Tyler Ty- Toner. Tyler Toner, and he's also an MMA fighter. There was a first round finish, or am, am I wrong? It was a first round finish. He absolutely went out there, and I was I, I followed this guy ever since because it's just like I saw him live early on in his career and kind of watched him in Bellator. I mean, the guy's kickboxing, his Muay Thai is is sick. Like it's very very elite. I have big-time questions about his grappling ability. Obviously, he's getting guillotine-choked by Daniel Carey and Bellator. I, I think it's all kind of like a work in progress for him. But he's 30 years old. It's like the guy's pretty close to a finished product right now. My problem with capping this fight is like I have zero idea what to expect from Aaron Phillips off of a three-year layoff. So... Um, I guess I'll pick Gaston Bolanos, Gaston Bolanos by knockout, but it's like, I don't know. This one seems like as big of a pass for me as, as humanly possible. You got any thoughts on this one? Yeah, Aaron Phillips is living the dream, dog. Okay, so he made the UFC back in 2014, lost to Sam Cecilia. They were like, we'll give you one more against Matt the Hobo Hobar. 
Technically, his name is Matt the Crowbar Hobar, but that sounded stupid. So he fights Hobar and he loses. It's over for you, pal. It's over. Cut in 2014. That's 10 years ago. Nine years ago. Cut from the UFC. He won a couple fights here and there in the regional scene, but wasn't super active. Hadn't really beaten anybody decent. And then Jack Shore, his opponent pulls out. They need a short nose replacement. Aaron Phillips just takes the fight and gets choked out. And for the last three years, Paul Shaughnessy, <laughs> this man has been able to roam the streets and tell people and not be called a lawyer. <laughs> he's a UFC fighter. What world does it exist that he's been on the roster for three years? But he took that fight short notice. And they offered him a couple of fights. They offered him Adrian Yana as all he got hurt. They offered him Jonathan Martin as all he got ill. Like He's been avoiding the fights that would have probably resulted in him taking a loss. Um, but again, like they probably send him little sponsorship packs every now and again. And he gets a pair of the rocks shoes, whatever the stupid crap that they send these guys through like the Reebok and Venom stuff. He'd be getting it. He'd be getting the health care. He'd be getting all these great things. 33 years old, has a job. 100% of this guy works a full-time job every day. But he's a UFC fighter. So I don't know, pretty, pretty props to him. I'll give him that. And then Bolanos, meanwhile, like Bolanos's entire MMA career has been for Bellator. So to me, it's a little bit surprising that Bellator opted not to sign the guy. The fact that Bellator is saying, you know what? We're going to hit a pass on this one. And the UFC signing him, ah, I don't know. I'll give Bolanos one thing, right? Working at Fight Network, uh, at, we, we, are, uh, we own Access TV, HGNet Fights, Gaston Bolanos, his line fight stuff all on access. So they're like, Cody, we want to make certain specific episodes, you know, who are guys that competed that were high level guys that have a name that have enough fights that you can make episodes on them specifically. Oh gosh, belong. Perfect. Not only that, man, you can make spinning episodes on the guy. Cause he knocked out this Caleb Archer with a spinning back elbow, two fights later against Ben Yell spinning back elbow, uh, Rick Gutierrez spinning back fist. Like the guy is an excellent striker. 13, 13- one is his combined pro Muay Thai and kickboxing record. I think he was like 26 and two as an amateur and then obviously six and three in pro MMA, but very dynamic striking. Thing is, is when he fought Solo Hotley, Solo Hotley's more of a boxer. And you can see that transitioning from high level kickboxing and Muay Thai to high level MMA striking is a different thing. He's not super comfortable quite yet. Carry obviously caught him in the submission. He rematches Carry and absolutely annihilates him at the end of the first round. So maybe making improvements certainly his takedown defense is something that they've been trying to work on. His submission defense is something they've been trying to work on. But honestly, it's not getting that much better. Bellator opted not to sign him because he was a little pricey and they didn't figure that he would be a contender. They can't throw him in against some Russian guy right now because he's not going to make a fight out of it. So they release him. The UFC signs him because they know he's a human highlight reel. Mm -hmm. So what do you do for a human highlight reel? Do you give him somebody that might take him down and grind him? Nah, nah, nah. Do you give him somebody that's fought, you know, recently, fought a few times in the last year or so, a guy that's on the top of his game that might pose problems? No, probably don't want to do that. Like Aaron Phillips. Because Aaron Phillips is not really known for his ground game. You know, he was a striker. He wanted to strike. Jack Shore, not a great matchup for him, but Jack Shore's a ground specialist, right? He, he took Phillips down and he choked him out. It was no problem. Phillips wants someone that's going to stand in bed. Phillips is from Lafayette, Louisiana, under Tim Crater. Used to be a training partner of Dustin Poirier. He wants to bet. Okay, that's what he's there for. And they've given him a guy that's going to do exactly that. So, Bolanos should, can't say knockout, because I don't think Phillips has ever been knocked out, right? Um, and he fought Sam Cecilia, so that's got to be worth something. So, I can't say for certain that Bolanos knocks him out, but if this is going to be a stand-up battle, Bolanos is the better fighter. The reason why I can't outright, I, uh, he's outright pick, 
But the reason I can't outright have any confidence in him is one, he didn't look particularly good in Bellator, wasn't no. beating Bellator level guys, and now he's coming to the UFC. He's 30 years old, so I don't think there's going to be massive improvements in his game. Phillips has been off long enough that could have Phillips made some improvements? Of course. But this is also not kickboxing and Muay Thai. They're five-minute rounds, not three-minute rounds. You know, his cardio has to be adjusted. His ability to counter, his ability to, you know, certain kicks, certain strikes. Are you going to unload? Are you going to go all power? You're spinning stuff. Although it looks great in Muay Thai, what's the worst that can happen? You miss and you fall to the ground? No big deal. And MMA, it's like, do you do that stuff? He has done that stuff. But again, is it smart? to do that stuff is he going to get lost in the mix of the live crowd and try to chase for 50g bonus because i can tell you right now costume balonis is an excellent striker and he's made effectively zero dollars on on striking there's just no money in line fights there's no money in muay thai there's no money in american kickboxing but the guy's dope he's actually on a joe rogan experience episode him and kevin ross were on it actually talking about american muay thai but the guy's a badass don't get me wrong it's that we see this all the time it's like you know gokan saki is also a badass right what happens when he comes over to MMA? It's like it's different. They're small gloves. They're, they're longer rounds. They're, you have, might have to grapple a little bit. Like it's There's a full crowd here where you're used to smaller venues. Like I don't know. I don't know. I would say Belanus is the pick. How high do we put him this week? How high do we rate him this week? I'm not fully certain quite yet. Yeah, that all kind of makes sense. I mean, big, big question marks, but like, his, yeah, his ground game, obviously a work in progress. Wouldn't be shocked to see like, you know, him get subbed or something like that here too. Um, not that Phillips has like a massive, massive submission or a jujitsu game to speak of, but he has a couple subs on his record against low level opponents. And frankly, this may be low enough level that it could happen. Um, maybe a decent underplay. I see like minus one forty five on the under two and a half rounds. Don't hate that. Um, but yeah, you brought up a good point. Phillips never been knocked out. Um, not not sure I'm gonna get to too much there. Finally, we got Lucy Pudilova taking on Jocelyn Edwards. Pudilova minus one thirty five favorite. Edwards can be had for plus one fifteen. Cody, take it away. Yeah, so I kind of pulled you earlier. It's like when I seen the line drop, I always like Edwards plus money against Lucy Pudilova. Like, okay, you twist my arm some more. Why don't you? Uh, she's got some solid volume. It's all like pitter patter shots from the outside, but Jocelyn Edwards is capable of fighting like a good 15 minutes. She put up 164 significant strikes against Ramona Pasquale the last time out against Gia and Kim. 101 significant strikes landed. She's pretty strong for the division. Um, big thick legs on her. Good leg kicks. Uh, a good rangy jab as well. If the fight stays at a you know her type of pace, largely standing and from the outside, I, I think she wins this fight probably on the volume based attack. It's going to be a close competitive fight. Probably goes fifteen minutes. Why not take the plus money on Jocelyn Edwards? But because uh, that's just lazy capping. So it's like you got to peel back the layers and see what's good. And like the Ramona Pasquale fight's awful. Like, this is a bad fight. I don't care if she doubled her up on significant track. I don't care if she tripled her up, which she almost did. This is a this is a bad fight, Paul. This is a really bad fight. I don't know that you could have a whole lot of confidence in Jocelyn Edwards moving forward. The, the next one is Gian Kim. Like, uh, split decision. I think everybody agrees that she won. I think I went to MMA decisions and 100% of the people thought she won. Like the media members, I thought she won. Most people thought she won. But it really goes to show you like the close competitive nature of her fights because she's not really sitting down on these shots. She's just staying on the outside and, and pitter-pattering away. So... 
stuff like that will get you in trouble. Pudilova, meanwhile, Pudilova is like hell on wheels. When she used to fight in the UFC back in the day, she has zero ground game, but she's willing to come at you and she's willing to engage. She went 15 minutes with Irene Aldana. It was a split decision loss for her, and she landed 105 versus 119 against Aldana. That's dope. She went 15 full minutes, showed that she could go cardio, lands over 100 significant strikes, and fights a credible opponent like Irene Aldana. I think those are the glimpses of what this girl could have been capable of, or still what she is capable of. It's the ground game. The ground game is just not there. So she gets released from the UFC. She goes to Octagon. She was she was four and one in her octagon, which is like Czech Republic. The one lost to Toledo Bernardo again because Pudilova is not a great wrestler. But Paul, I swear to you, you go fight to fight, you can a hundred percent see that she's working on her grappling and her wrestling mm-hmm. so much so that she's now actively trying to get the fights to the ground and now grapple her opponents. You saw that against Wu Yanan her last time out. The volume was still there. The aggressiveness is still there. Her cardio went 15 with Aldana, so one would believe that the cardio is still there. She's still young. But it was her ability to get the fight to the ground and show off much more polished grappling skill. So the the difference between her and Jocelyn Edwards is Jocelyn Edwards is tipped happened from the outside. Pudilova might be coming for it, more aggressive, sitting down on her shots a little bit more, and maybe able to mix in some wrestling and some grappling. And I think that'll persuade the judges to give it over to her. So minus 135, like, listen, it's probably closer to a dogger pass. I get it, but it's not a crazy wild line. And, uh, I think I think you would take Pudilova by decision. I'm thinking if you try to want to improve it, just because, you know, yeah, she's coming off a finish, but does she finish Jocelyn Edwards? Not likely. Could she just make this a close fight on the volume and mix in a couple takedowns to secure the victory? I think so. So yeah, sign me up for Lucy Pudilova by decision. Pud's by decision is man. They've really ruined bestfightodds.com, haven't they? Like it's a it's impossible to read that site these days. Um, yeah, they're definitely like not it, what they used nothing's to be. nothing's where it used to be anymore. Someone's gotta, yeah, someone's gotta. I mean, a fight odds kind of works still. Um, Poods by decision plus one fifty five. Don't hate that. Um, shouts to BMR, longtime fan of the show. Sometimes he sneaks in, uh, sends me some prize picks tips, and I think this was a pretty good look. And you mentioned it a whole bunch. Is uh, Pudalova. Over 0.5 takedowns. Yeah. We were right on the uh, on the Gastelum under 0.5 takedowns. They set these <laughs> like these 0.5ers. And it's obviously, you know, she may not, she may come out there and not even try to wrestle at all. But like this stylistic matchup kind of makes sense. It's like you're taking on a long, rangy striker. You showed in your last, uh, your last fight against Wu Yanan. That's like, you've worked on that ground game. Um, 0.5 is, is next to nothing. So, uh, really, I, I really, really like that. I think that, yeah, she mixes in the wrestling a bit, keeps it competitive on the feet, greasy fight, minus 135. Don't know if I'm going to get to it from a betting perspective, but I will be playing uh, that over uh, 0.5 takedowns for Lucy Pudilova on prize picks with the Rafa Garcia under two because people don't just go out there and just take down Clay, Clay Guida at will. Um, what other prize picks do I have lined up that I've, let me just place this entry. That's the Poods and, uh, and Garcia under Poods over on takedowns, takedowns and like six strikes have been like my go-to generally. That's where I've been 
where I've been doing my best work, I feel like. Um, yeah, I've got the poods there. Uh, yeah, these other ones are a little bit more dicey. These are like a little small sprinkle, like six, like $20 to win $500 type of uh, uh, yeah. little small one that I made. But like these are the other looks that I'm like considering as, as the week goes along. And like as we broke it down, I'm feeling a little bit less inclined on a couple of them. But we got uh, Billy Quarantillo, oh, uh, more than 1.5 takedowns. It's like, he's going to have to try to shoot four takedowns. I just don't know if he's going to be able to land them. So it's like, I don't think, I think my favorite two are the Lucy and the and the Garcia ones. Uh, Garcia, less than two takedowns. Eon, more than 2.5 takedowns. He may get six in the first round and then fall off an absolute cliff because that's, that's how Eon Kutalaba fights. Um Lucy Pudilova, more than 0.5 takedowns. Gaston Bolanos, this one I'm like really not liking nearly as much. I said more than 94.5 fantasy score, but it's like he's probably going to need a knockout to get over that 94.5 fantasy score. And now the fact that like, you know, that that Phillips hasn't been knocked out, that one's real real dicey. I don't think I'm going to be mixing that one in with other with other plays, to be perfectly honest, now that we've actually talked it through. And Zell Huber, less than 73.5 on the fantasy score. That line doesn't actually seem too far off. Like, I don't I don't necessarily... I think, I, in terms of getting involved in that fight, I probably prefer just a money, dog, or money line shot, um, just betting-wise on Lando Venata rather than chasing something on Zell Huber. Cause I have no idea what to expect from this Zell Huber kid. He could come out and throw 150 strikes this time and be like, that's the kid that we saw on contender series. So yeah, the four that I really like were the first four that I mentioned there. Uh, without further ado, Cody hit him with the PRP. Okay. PRP this week. We're going to go with Max Holloway. We're going to go with Billy Q. Uh, you might be able to make him your underdog number one if you get him after the first round. So to get a live bet opportunity there. Justin Jacoby, uh, Tanner Bozer's dog number one, Chris Gutierrez, Rafa Garcia. Paul's got me worried about that one. I got a two-to-one shoey bet on it now, too. So what the hell was I thinking? Uh, Bill Ljo, Matus Nicolau, uh, Zach Cummins, Piero Rodriguez is dog number two, Lana Venata is dog number three, Bruno Brazil, Gaston Bolanos, and Lucy Putalova. The, yeah, the Gaston fight, I'm tempted to just take that over two and a half up plus 115 but i mean the guy throws spinning back elbows on the reg reg so i don't know how much a fight goes the distance action you want on a guy like that but yeah listen there'll be a couple shifty dogs coming through here and there aaron phillips might be one of them shifty dogs coming through paul mentioned denise gomez is live pat would certainly agree with that one ed herman who the hell knows just because of you know he's gonna be a lot bigger than cummings i would imagine anyways there'll be shifty underdogs main thing is avoid them on telemaster i'm killing it this here the thing is for you know prp type parlays and two fights and four fights is like i need the actual order right it doesn't matter if you get 10 of 12 right if you've got one of the two wrong at the top you're screwed so mm-hmm. it's just some fine tuning paul i don't feel like i'm far off on the breakdowns I'm, I'm far off on the order so it's gonna click eventually uh you're the goat kid don't don't let anything get to you you've you've made tons of money over the years in this and um i yeah you'll you'll get right back on track Anyway, uh, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, For producer Megan and Cody Saftig, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. (laughs) 